0: Uh, we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to go to First Peter, First Peter chapter two, and just understanding what Christ has done for us—it's so catalyst to so much that happens in our life. In fact, in uh, in this passage here, Peter is going to—he's going to he's gonna tie, tie what Jesus Christ did on the cross in a very unique way. In fact, when I was uh, when I was traveling in uh, for college in 1997. Uh, I was on a vacation Bible school and camp team, and we would go from every week we go to a different church, and we'd do Bible school for them, uh, and we would run that. And the first year, uh, I was in Winona, Minnesota, in a small town, and I stayed with this guy named Lee, and uh, Lee was one of the founders of a company, and I had never met a guy who was so geeked out about fasteners nuts and bolts and screws and the types of flanges and this will do that. He just, that's, he lived and breathed fasteners. And the guy would just talk about it. He was like, oh, we're doing this and we're doing this. And he's like, I I have this company with four other guys. We started it up. It started with this guy and now I'm doing this and I'm, you know, the vice president and he's going to be, you know, and eventually became the president of a company called Fastenal. If you've ever heard of it, it's, you know, it's all over. It's everywhere. And, And I remember, I'm like, this guy was just obsessed. You can bring that up to me because I would love to have that anytime, Nate. Um, he was just, he was all about that. I need water. Sorry. Everybody's like, what's he bringing up? Something magical? Yes, it's magical. It's water. Thanks, sir. Uh, and he would just, he would talk about fasteners and about the importance of having a good fastener for this and for that. And I was like, okay, great. You know, wonderful. I was just like, it's a nut and a bolt. And, but then I started thinking about it. It's true. If if your nut and your bolt fails, that's that could cause lots of problems. If your fastener on whatever anybody ever hang a hang something on the wall and the fastener fails, and you're like you know, and you're like you lose all sanctification for five minutes, and then you're like, all right, my bad, <laughs> let's put it back on the wall. And 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 we look like that and we, we think about it. And I started thinking about this passage here when we look at it, and excuse me. Uh, Peter Peter's gonna fasten. Things together, and it's vitally important when we fasten things. Peter has just told believers in context that they need to submit to the authorities that have placed over them. He's talked about the governments. Now he's talked about your employers, uh, the masters, the slave master relationship, which we talked about last time, and he's even told those servants. He says, "Hey, even if your employer." is treating you unfairly. Even if your master is, is not doing the right thing, still have that proper attitude, still work through that, that submission. So they've been told to endure patiently the suffering that has come upon them to do right. We saw that verse 20. For what glory is it if when you buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it and take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So Peter's just talked about this, enduring the suffering that, that has taken place. And so he, this is the conduct that he desires of us as believers, to say there are going to be times in our life when we're going to suffer, and at times it's going to be unfair, and at times it's going to be mistreatment. But he says, I want you to do this. And what he does is he fastens it tightly, directly to Christ's work on the cross. He's going to go directly in, in, in what seems out of place initially— is beautifully placed here. You look and go, why do we just go from servants and masters to all of a sudden talking about Christ and how he suffered? Because that's what Peter's going to be talking about. This is the fastener that will not fail. Christ's death on the cross, his suffering that he, t- he endured brings us great confidence for our hardships. When you are going through the sufferings, when you are going through the difficulties of life, when you are facing the unjust treatments and the mistreatments from an employer or from a government or from a spouse or from some other entity, and the suffering comes about and the hardship and the mistreatment and is there pressed upon us, Peter, right in the middle of all of this, he sets the cross. He says, think about what Christ Endured. And he doesn't say just enduring suffering and just dealing with the accompanying pain is enough. He looks, Peter looks and says, it's about how you go through this. About how we deal with the difficulties in our life. Not just that we made it through. I know there are times where we feel like we just made it through. But Peter says, you can endure these sufferings the way that Christ did the way that you're supposed to. So it is about how you go through it as well. Now, notice what he says in verse 21. It says, for even unto, herein you are called, because Christ also suffered, and he's gonna, he's gonna go on. So what are we called to? Now, that, that brings up some debate. There's some questions that come up. Are we just called to do good, even if we suffer? That's it's one possibility from the text. Are we called just to suffer? Is that, well, we just, our, our lot in life is just to suffer. Now, you know, or is it, we are called to endure patiently when we do suffer for doing good. That seems to be the context driven. Peter tells these, these uh, slave uh, servant master and masters, they tell a servant, when you are being treated unfairly, then you need to endure correctly and you need to do it for the good of God. And when you do that, that is well-pleasing to God. So, and then he goes right off of that. So we look and we say, what are we called to? We are called to when facing mistreatment, when facing hardships, when we go through sufferings, we are called to it. We will face it to do good and to endure it patiently, endure it properly. Christ has suffered on our behalf, Peter is saying, and now at times we suffer on his behalf because of how we live, because of the differences, because of the ethical choices that <clears throat> we must make, because we have to make the moral choices to do right, to do good, not to cast that by the wayside and to do, to do evil. So when we're, <clears throat> when we're asked to do something that is not in context with Christ, Christ's word, we disobey, but we face those consequences. We went through that and talked about that idea of submission. So he goes on and he says, okay, you are called, I am called to, uh, to, to this enduring patiently the suffering because also Christ was suffer. So this is where Peter fastens it. Notice he says, because Christ also suffered for us. He looks very directly. He doesn't give us any wiggle room. He says, the reason you are called and to endure hardship and to do it in the right way is because your example, Jesus Christ has done the exact same thing. And so therefore, we are to do that. And he uses this, this term, this idea of suffering, that if I don't drink it, it's just gonna sound worse and worse as the night goes on. So uh, he says, because Christ also suffered for us, why don't why didn't he just say, well, Christ died for us? Because that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about the death, the passion, all that Christ endured, everything about him. He uses the word suffering here, one, because that's part of the theme of his book. He's looking to remind us that suffering is part of what we are and what we face as believers. But remember, Jesus also did this as well. Jesus talked about that I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer. He's talking about and referring to his death in those contexts. So it's not out of the norm to use this term suffering to talk about the death, the burial, the resurrection, the passion of Jesus Christ. And that's what, that's what Peter's doing. So as he talks about Christ's death, notice what he says, because Christ also suffered for us. We talk about in theology, it's called the vicarious atonement. The fact that Christ died on our behalf in the place for another. So Peter looks and says, he suffered, he died for us. And so Peter, Peter is starting to tip his hat, but this, this passage is not just a theological treatise on the substitutionary atonement of Christ, the fact that Christ died on our behalf. It, it alludes to that. It definitely talks about it. It reminds us that he suffered for us. The focus of this passage is actually exemplary. Now, I get, I get really nervous sometimes preaching what is called exemplary-type messages, where it's like, be like Jesus. Anybody else, whenever you hear a be like Jesus message, you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna fail at this one. You know, moms, you, Mother's Day, you know, and we go to Psalm 30 or Proverbs 31, you're like, ain't gonna happen. That woman's a nut job. I don't know how she does all of that stuff in Proverbs 31. I can't be that woman. And, and you look and it's like, it, it feels impossible. So there's this, there's this caution I always have, like personally to, to preach, be like this person, because I'm not Paul. I'm not Peter, I'm not Jesus. And yet Peter specifically at this point says, this is exemplary. This passage is telling us to be like Jesus when we are enduring suffering. He's very clear. He talks about Christ's suffering. Peter reminds us that the suffering, that Jesus himself has endured this. He has went through it. And that we do not suffer the same agonies as Christ. We'll see that in a second. There's a difference. And yet we can follow in the way in which he endured the hardships. Believers, we should be encouraged that when suffering for doing right, and because it's innocent, it's part of our identification with Jesus Christ. Think about Christ suffered for doing right. Christ endured for doing that which is holy. And when we live that righteous and holy life, and it brings about mistreatment, and it brings about difficulties, that's a, that's a, it's an attaboy in a sense. Good job. Because that's part of our identity with Jesus Christ. That's saying, hey, we we can expect it, and we should be expecting the fact that there will be some hardships, there will be some difficulties in our life because of how we how we lived it. Any of you remember the old Gatorade commercials, the be like Mike? I mean, I can still sing the song from the thing like way back, because but I was you know Michael Jordan fan, geeked out because you know, and, and I remember like all my friends and I growing up in Chicago, I mean, it was like Michael Jordan's town. Everybody loved him. So we would all, all go out there, all these, you know, roly-poly white kids who couldn't jump three feet off the ground, but we're like all out there hanging our tongues out the side, acting like Michael Jordan, trying to do all this stuff. And it was like this huge pipe dream that was never, it was never going to happen. This is never going to be Michael Jordan. It is, it, but we all had this aspiration that we were going to, to be that person. Well, we can look sometimes and it's this great fanciful thought of that this is who I'm going to be. But Peter and God are looking in this passage and saying, you be like Christ. And this isn't just some great thought out there. This is an expectation of us. That as we as believers go through the hardships, God says, I expect you, I expect me to endure it this way. To, to go about it the way that he says. So he goes on in, in verse 21. He says, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Peter says that Christ is the model pattern. Okay. See at the top of your notes there? Okay. How many of you, anybody admit they've already like traced it in? Okay. Some of you, it's like default. Like you do it. All right. Go ahead. Trace tra- everybody. Just if you have notes and you have a pen there, Trace it out, man. You you just need to do this. Just J is for Jesus. Okay, it's not some great theological Sesame Street reason. Just just go for it. Just trace it out. J is for Jesus. We'll have a penmanship grade afterwards. We'll see how you do. So. The, the word that Peter uses here for pattern, it literally means to trace an alphabet letter. It is the, the concept of a teacher dots it out, and then you go through and you trace it out. You fill, in the, you fill it in. Because the, the idea is if you never learn to trace a letter, then you're never going to learn to write. Well, as Peter uses this and says, Jesus Christ is this example that you are supposed to trace that you're supposed to copy over and over and over. Do you remember doing that as kids? You know, see Dick run, see Jane run, you know, and you're, 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 you're doing, you're going through all of it and you're, you're doing this. He is the model. He is the pattern that as we are supposed to continually copy, we don't always get it right. Your, your handwriting was horrendous. It may still be horrendous. But when you were learning to do this, you were doing the exact same. So you learned the strokes. You learned how to do it so that you could write without ever thinking. That's the word Peter's using. He's saying we continually model and mimic Christ in our lives so that as we're enduring the suffering, we're enduring the hardships, we learn to do it like him. He is the example of a life that pleases God, that we are to follow that example. And He goes on and he says, that we should not just, he just doesn't leave it. He says we should follow in his steps. So the pattern is that, the idea is we follow after it. Following, it sort of shows this allegiance to the master, to sharing in his identity. So that as Christ is walking and setting the pattern, we are saying we are going to attempt to do our best to follow, to do exactly what he is saying in our lives. So we follow in his steps the same direction the exact manner, the same attitude, the same uh, endurance that Christ would go through. We do it with meekness, integrity. Those are the, the truths that are going to come out in this passage with patience, with honesty. We're going to go through the hardships, the difficulties like Christ would. And what's, what's encouraging to me with that whole exemplary idea, when God tells me he is the example and pattern, He's not telling me that it's something I can't do He's saying you can do this You can actually be like Christ Through the hardships Through the difficulties Through the hard times This uh, this year hunting has been a lot of fun with Zach Uh, He hasn't gotten a deer yet But that's okay Uh, But what's been fun Is watching him start to learn to track Especially we had snow the other day And we were walking out And he's like that's a deer print I said okay good I said, which direction is it going? Uh, and he's looking, he's like, it's going that way. So how do you know that? Well, the hoof prints are pointed that way. I said, good, okay, good. And we'd walk and he's like, what's that? I'm saying, oh, that's a squirrel. Okay, that's a rabbit. He's learning all of those little, those little markers through the snow, learning how to follow, to how to follow after. But the, the idea that Peter's driving at here is not tracking like game. It's the, we just got two feet of snow, and your little two year old is going to follow you through the snow. What are you going to do as a dad? Are you going to stick the kid out there and say, All right, make a path so I can follow you? Some, some of you might do that. But it's the, it's the idea of the dad is just going to kick through the snow and the child is going to follow through, making it easier and easier and easier for that child to go through those difficulties. That's what Christ did. He endured the suffering, He went through it so that we can follow in His pattern, in His steps. With meekness and humility and genuineness and honesty and integrity, so that as we go through those hard times and we continue to face and look after the one who has established our pattern, we can endure the hardships and we can do it correctly. Not just getting through, but doing it with grace, doing it with dignity, doing it with integrity, so that when God looks, He says, I am pleased with the way that you have endured these hardships. As believers, we should follow Christ's example to refrain from sin or using deceit when mistreated. Look at how Peter fleshes that out in the next, next spot. He, he goes on, he says that we should follow in his steps. What are the steps? Who did no sin? Well, <laughs> there we go, I failed. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this week I failed in that one. We, we look and we say, what's Peter getting at? He's going to establish the pattern. Some of you are really into sewing. It's that same idea. We're gonna lay the pattern out. We're gonna trace it out. We're gonna cut it. By the way, if any of you are really into sewing and you like doing that, we are gonna next year need to make new reenactment costumes. So, side note, plug, if you really like doing that, come see me. We gladly put you to work this year making new reenactment costumes, which it's just bed sheets sewn together. You can do it. Some of them are nicer. But that's the idea of what he's, he's getting at. So what's the pattern? Peter says, as he fleshes out verses 21, 22 here, 23, we need to seek to demonstrate integrity in the midst of suffering. It's really easy to go and to just do our own thing and to make it happen. Um, He says here, Christ's sinlessness, the fact that he is without sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. It was not simply an obedience to man's laws. When we talk about Christ being sinless, that he was perfect, it wasn't just simply, okay, he obeyed man's laws. It was that he was so perfect Without sin, the attitudes, the thoughts of the heart were, were never deceitful. They were never wrong. In fact, God looks at him and finds Christ acceptable. Look at, just right over the page, 1 Peter chapter four, verse one. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he has suffered in the flesh uh, and has ceased from sin. There, in other words, there was no sin in him at all. You can go to all those other passages where it talks about the impeccability, the fact that Christ has no sin in his life. He was perfect before God. God accepted him for that. It's not simply an apparent sinlessness, but Christ lived this out in his life. We're not going to be sinless, but we can seek to live our lives and live through suffering with integrity. The hardships come. It gets really easy to forsake that because we see in our human mind A simpler, easier way to deal with it. And it may not even be the best way to deal with it. It might be a sinful way. And and that temptation is there to follow after it. And I have to look and say, wait, no, I need to endure the right way with integrity, with the right attitude, with the right heart. Christ did not lie. He did not attempt to fool people with his words. He was honest. He was straightforward. That's the idea of the guile. There was no guile found in his mouth, there was no physical, no verbal sin that was occurring. In his life, he was perfect with truth. There was no cover up in his life. What else does Peter say? He says, not only to do it with integrity, but he says to refuse to retaliate in the midst of mistreatment. He goes on, he was reviled. Christ was. When he was reviled, what did he do? He reviled not. When he was suffered, he threatened not. There wasn't this retaliatory aspect. When the pressures are coming against me, when somebody is mistreating me as an employer, somebody is mistreating me in the government, it wasn't the instant, I'm gonna puff my chest up and bring it on, here we go attitude. It was, uh, okay, Christ humbly does not give it back. He comes back with with a meek attitude. So there's integrity, there's meekness. As the insults are hurled upon him, you remember? He stands before Pilate, quiet. He's, he's beaten, smacked, hit, smitten. Doesn't say a word. And we're, we're constantly reminded of that. Christ not having, and this is the example that Peter draws upon for you and I to be acting like in the hardships, in the endurance. Yes, I'm never going to be Christ. I understand that. And yet Peter says, this is the pattern of our life. This is how we are supposed to be responding to some of these difficulties and hardships. Avoid making the idle threats when attacked. He doesn't retaliate, doesn't spit it out right away. When he's suffering, he chose to remain silent in the midst of mistreatment, in spite of revenge. Anybody else there, when, when somebody is mistreating, I want to lash back. I, I want to... I want to I go into defense protection mechanism, you know, whatever you want to call it, and I'm just going to give it right back to you. That's my default. And I have to look and say, "Wait. How would Christ endure this? What steps did he take in front of me to show me the pattern of how I'm supposed to handle some of this? Do I need to be a little bit more meek? Do I need to be a little bit more humble? Do my words need to demonstrate integrity?" That's how Christ was enduring as he went through. And then he trusts in God's righteous vindication. Look at uh, uh, the the contrast here. He's quiet. Why was he quiet? What, What happened? He says, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Christ entrusted his entire situation to God. The enemies, himself, the people who were following him, When he was being mistreated, it says that he entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. He's looking in the Father, and he's, Father, this is in your hands. So when we're facing issues where we feel mistreated or abused by government officials, we feel mistreated, abused by employers, we feel like we're being mistreated by a, a spouse who's not living up according to God's word is, we'll see when we get to chapter three. What does what Peter look and say? What did Christ do? What was the pattern? It was to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm gonna be wise, but I'm gonna trust you for this situation. And what's interesting is the word he uses here, he says this is something that in the past happened all the time to Christ. He was saying he was continually committing himself to him, the judges, and that when he suffered in the first part of verse 23, when he suffered, he threatened not. When he was reviled, all of those, those words, those verbs are imperfect, which means it happened all the time to Jesus Christ. That was the pattern of his life is that these people were coming against him that they did not like his righteous lifestyle, that they did not like the holy standards that he was displaying. And so there was, a, there was a disdain, there was a mistreatment, a constant pushing against him. And he continually committed his life, the situation to God's righteous judgment, to the vindication that God will take care of this. If we can learn to follow in that, it will bring the anxiety levels down. It will bring the, the stress levels down. There was an illustration that really helped me over the last couple of weeks, talking about just trusting, setting things down. Uh, he, he held up, this, this professor held up, a, uh, held up a, a glass of water. He says, how much does this glass of water weigh? So everybody's like, well, it's you know eight ounces. Oh, it's a pound, weighs a pound. He said, you know, It's really irrelevant how much it weighs. Because the longer I hold on to this, the heavier it will get. If I hold on to this for an hour, you're going to see my hands start to drip. If I try to hold on to it for a day or two or three, it's going to get heavier and heavier to the point where it is completely weighing me down. He looked and he said, there's so many things in our life that we just have to learn to trust, to set it down, to give it over and to let it go because it will not continually control and dominate our lives. And that's, what, that's the idea of what Christ is doing here. He's giving those things to God. He's setting that pattern of entrusting it to the one who is sovereign, to the one who is in control. And so many of the, the struggles and the anxieties and the, the difficulties in our lives, we need to just sit down and say, God, you're in control. Help me to endure this the way that Christ would. With integrity, with meekness, with honesty Without the idle threats, without the the vengeance in mind But to trust that you will take care of the situation That you will deal with it Believers should trust God in suffering Believing that he will care for them And that he will deal with their adversaries That may mean mistreatment That may mean at times a loss of a job For doing right And that stinks, I know it I understand that and yet at the same time, I have to follow the pattern of the one who has set the, set the example, Jesus Christ. So Peter uses Christ, and this illustration is the ultimate example of unjust suffering. He, he goes on, he's like, the suffering here, though when you think about it, this is the unjust suffering. The greatest unjust, injustice, injustice that has ever occurred is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He did not deserve the cross. There is absolutely no ounce of justice there. He did not. And yet it brings about the greatest victory. Thankfully, he sets that pattern of there are going to be times that it's going to be unjust and we're going to suffer. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Peter changes the language here, and he gets very specific, and he says, this is something that only Christ could do. The perfect sinless one was the only one who could take our place, who could be the one who righteously hangs there. Notice it says, who in his own self and in his own body. This was personal. Christ took that upon himself, The idea of bearing here, the word to bear our sins, it has the idea of to carry a sacrifice to the altar, to bear in the sense of accepting the guilt, the blame, the punishment. That's what he did in his own self, the sinless one, took upon himself our sins. In his own body, and carried them to the cross. He took our punishment by carrying away our sins. He carried them up to the cross, onto the cross, and he carried them away, removing them as far as the east is from the west. That's injustice. That's wrongful suffering. I deserve You deserve to be on that cross. And yet, he took our place as only he could do. And Peter looks and says, In his own body, he did this. Christ carried our sins to the cross to carry away our sins. It was a once for all act, he does not have to continually do it. In fact, it talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 21. Cursed is he who hangs on the tree. Peter is alluding back to that. It's like the sinless one has been cursed for us, has taken your curse and my curse upon that tree. And what does Peter say was the purpose of this atonement? What was the purpose of this death? That believers, it's not just the future salvation. Look what he says here. He says, who bear our sins that we should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. That we are being dead to sins. He talks about that we are to cease to be living for. It is a separation from the sinfulness. It's no longer to drive our lives. We are now dead to that. We now have the ability to say no to the sin that we couldn't before. And yet, like so many, we, we go back to it. We now have the freedom for the power of sin, over the power of sin that has been purchased by Christ, and that we are now empowered, able to live righteously. We can follow after the pattern of Christ. We can be in accordance with God's will. We can live unto righteousness. So Christ dying on the cross, it it gives us that, that future salvation, from the freedom of judgment, but also a freedom from a life dominated by sin and that we can have a freedom to live as God intends. That is a beautiful sacrifice. That is a beautiful dynamic of what what has happened in our lives. And he says it's by whose stripes we are healed. These stripes, they once again, they show the entire passion of Christ. It's not just talking just about the whipping because the, the whipping of Christ did not bring about forgiveness of sins. It was part of the passion. In fact, the word uh, has the idea of bruises and, and wounds and, and hurt, it hurts. And wouldn't for these exiles and these servants, wouldn't they possibly really be able to connect with that? Some of them who were being mistreated, some of them who were whipped, some of them who may have been hearing this and, and having bruises. And they're realizing, wait, he, we are healed by his stripes. Now, it's not a physical healing, it's a forgiveness of sins. It's a forgiveness. Yeah, teens, you can come on in. Uh, it's forgiveness that benefits, that is the benefit from the vicarious atonement. That, that fact that Christ died in our place for our sins, it's, it's the benefit of what Christ has done. Peter is speaking of a spiritual healing from sin and its effects. I think sometimes we need to look at the big picture. So many times in our world, we live by this. People pay $200 to go to a concert and then they watch it through a two-inch screen. You know, it's like, what are you doing? See the big picture, see what's happening. And when it comes to the big picture of enduring suffering and, and going through that, I think we need to see the big picture of the passage. Christ's suffering led to the salvation of others. So too the unjust suffering of believers will draw some to faith in Christ. That's where he's getting it. That was back back verse 12, where it talks about that having your conversation honest, they may see your good works, which they behold and glorify your Father in the day of visitation. And Peter says, you know, in the midst of hardships, people tend to wander. They tend to stray. They become angry. They can become bitter. And he wraps up the passage with this statement where it talks about, you know, that we are as sheep who have gone astray and are now returned unto the shepherd, the bishop of your soul. The, the idea here is, you've chosen to stray, but now you have turned back, that, that you, have, you have come back. Notice that where the sheep return to, they return to the benevolent care of God. They come back to the shepherd. The bishop of their soul, the leader, the caregiver, the protector. They come to the overseer, the guardian, the one who is overlooking not just their life, but really the most important possession they have, their soul. And Christ is looking and Peter is looking and saying, you, this is who you've come back to. And so there's, there's debate, is this talking about salvation? But he's talking to believers and he says, you've went away and now you're coming back. It's not a loss of salvation thing. He's looking and saying, I I believe it's the idea more naturally. The picture is these are individuals who have gone through these hardships and are not handling it correctly. And Peter is saying, now do it rightly. And they're coming back and they're following after their shepherd. They're following after. And you have come back to the one who is guarding and protecting your souls and is protecting you through the hardship, giving you the care that is necessary. And so as believers in the midst of the suffering and the hardships for our faith, remember that you're not lost. God has not forgotten you. God is well aware that you are there. Christ is with you and you are underneath his watchful care. Because when we look at this passage, the ability to endure unjust suffering in the spirit and the example of Jesus comes from us being conscious of God's presence and God's care that he is the overseer, that he is the shepherd, that he is there with us, and that he has laid a pattern for us to be able to go through the hardships of life in the way that is pleasing and honoring to God. Have you thought through this passage and thought about what Jesus Christ went through? The one who is with no sin was silent, did not revile, did not threaten back, he endured the sufferings. And as we, as we transition to thinking about communion, this passage is rich to remind us of what this is about, of what Jesus Christ did in taking our place, of providing a way for us to be freed from the power of sin, to, yes, have a home in heaven, but even to be able to live righteously for God. And as we begin to reflect for communion... I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 53, because I would be completely remiss in this passage to not reflect upon Isaiah 53, and you're going to see why here. We've just went through it, but Isaiah 53, we're going to read, and then we'll just we'll we'll just sing one one verse of a song before we transition to communion because of time. But I want to read Isaiah 53 as we begin to prepare our hearts, thinking about what Jesus Christ did. This is called the suffering servant passage. It's it's well known by the time Peter writes first Peter, well known that this is speaking about the Messiah and the hardships and the suffering that he went through. We're gonna pick up down in verse three. It says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it was our face from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed." All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shear is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who has declared his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he, was he stricken. And he was made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth yet. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he has poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered With the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That's what our Savior did for us. He suffered.